This episode of Dear East Americans is brought to you by Toyota. As a proud partner of those who dare to dream, Toyota isn't settling with having them as words on a page. The stories of these Asian American dreamers need to be seen, heard, and supported. We hope these stories will inspire you to chase your own Asian American dream. Welcome back to Dear Asian Americans. We are continuing our conversation with the dreamers in our community, focusing our stories, highlighting the wonderful Asian American dreamers and the dreams that they've pursued, maybe a little bit different than the traditional American dream that we were once taught or led to believe, whether that was from society, school, or family, and really taking the opportunity to create the Asian American dreams ourselves. Today, we're in Los Angeles talking to my wonderful friend, Melody Ham, who has done things that we probably were not on our parents' list of approved careers. <laughs> two times over now, and doing amazing things, not only in their day job, but also behind the scenes, inner community work to make sure that we can all have the best chance at making the Asian American dream possible for many more people. Melody, welcome to the show. What kind words. Thanks, Jerry. We're literally in your neighborhood talking because I think, (laughs) you know, part of being able to pursue our dreams is also to be in places where inspiration strikes, to be in places where we are at the epicenter of, and I know that, you know, you and your husband, Jason, also host a lot of events here to bring people together. And the work that you guys do, again, both in front and behind, are really to inspire other people to pursue their own dreams, whatever that may be. Yeah. You are at Harlem Capital now, running community and platforms for a venture fund that specifically is focused on funding the companies and dreams of underrepresented and marginalized founders. But how did you end up here and what did you do before this that I think... Also, as we sit here in a Toyota minivan with three cameras pointed at us, this brings back some fond memories, I assume. Yes, exactly. On my driveway, which is a new experience, I would say. I think for me, I would love to say there was a grand master plan or blueprint. Anyone who says that they have one is lying. I I personally believe it was through a beautiful series of amazing coincidences, but also honestly, a lot of mentorship that I was able to receive that I now am in the venture capital world. But my original dream was actually to be an actress. So it's kind of funny now that I'm in LA, we see a lot of Asian faces on camera, on screen, on Broadway. But you know, I'm 31. When I was growing up, that certainly wasn't the case. The funny part of all of this is my dad is actually a classical conductor. So he took an unconventional path himself. So when you talk about, oh, how our parents raised us and certain ideals, I actually grew up with this idea that I was supposed to find my passion in mm. order to succeed. He never once actually asked me for my report card. My mom did, wow. but my dad was very much like, what else are you interested in that could make you a more defined person that can stand out from the lot? Because I think he was almost a couple steps ahead in thinking that, okay, the stereotype is for us to be smart and nerdy and just be quiet. Mm-hmm. Everything in his life, if you met him, you would know this, is bucking that trend and bucking those stereotypes. And so I feel blessed in some ways, but to be perfectly honest, when I was in second grade being hounded every day about what my passion is, Mm. that's a different kind of pressure, right? right? And so my mom enrolled me in acting classes because I actually used to be quite shy. And I did monologue competitions. I learned Shakespeare plays and sonnets. And then, of course, when I was in high school, I told my parents, I want to be an actress. My mom's like, no, what are you talking about? I was like, 
mom, you're the one who enrolled me in these classes. What are you saying? You told me that, that I should pursue these sorts of opportunities. And she's like, no, that was just to make you more confident. That was to make you a better speaker. And ultimately, I still want you to have stability and find something that is a little more practical. So fast forward a little bit. I thought I was going to be going to law school because I've always been interested in humanities, reading, writing. Those are my loves. And then ended up taking a journalism course, really found myself gravitating towards newspaper writing, feature writing. Did a lot of that in college and then got a broadcast journalism internship in New Delhi, India the summer before my senior year. And it was a very one man band sort of situation. I, I worked with the bureau chief of a small outlet there. And that sort of opened my eyes and my world to the fact that I could be telling stories in a very innovative, creative way while still making an impact. And so I was very fortunate enough to get a job at CNBC right out of college. To be perfectly honest, I took two econ classes. Again, very much that whole math and science has to be our bread and butter. Those were never my strengths. I think when I was in high school, I like got by, but I never found a gravitational pull to, towards those subjects. So the fact that I ended up getting a job at you know, the leading business and financial economics news center and broadcast center was quite a joke to <laughs> a lot of my family because I barely knew about interest rates. I, I, the learning curve was very steep, but I immersed myself into the, you know, news associate program, worked on the flagship morning show called Squawk Box. And I actually carved out a niche for myself. The show was three hours long and it was from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., and so I actually got ownership over the 40s, which was 640, 740, 840, mm. which tended to be sort of the lighter feature pieces, mm. but actually a chance to profile entrepreneurs. And so I was the first one to book Adam Newman, the WeWork CEO, on a broadcast interview, the Away founders. And just thinking about this time, it was the heyday of consumer goods and a lot of the D2C industry. And so a lot of those CEOs and founders became kind of my target because I was not only part of the core demo as a consumer, but also I could sense that there was something bubbling here and they would be culture shapers. And then I transitioned over to Yahoo Finance because I wanted more on-air experience. And I was able to host my own show called Breakouts, which actually profiled diverse founders and CEOs ranging from, you know, South Asian founders, Middle Eastern and Irish founders of companies that are a little more obscure. So just thinking about diversity in different ways. Like many of us during the pandemic, I had an existential moment or many existential moments, I think, covering politics and having to suddenly be well-versed in the medical world and just being kind of discouraged on a day-to-day -day basis in my day job, I began to ponder, okay, I how do I translate a lot of these skill sets and a lot of these gifts that mm -hmm. I do feel like I've been given in a different context? To be honest, I think the veil of being on air and being on camera, which many people look forward to or kind of idolize, that veil had been lifted, right? Mm -hmm. I, I did not think of it as glamorous anymore, right. especially during peak COVID when we were in the confines of our apartment going live, right? Like that's not a great experience in a one bedroom apartment, which we we're living in at the time. And so I actually got introduced to Harlem Capital, funnily enough, by interviewing one of my bosses now for a panel about diversity in VC and how much room there is to grow and why, you know, a firm like Harlem Capital exists. And so I did this interview, happened to work out that a friend from college worked at Harlem Capital. Mm -hmm. She 
flagged this job opportunity to me and the rest is history. And so I joined Harlem Capital in July 2021 and it's been a wild ride since. Um, and, you know, just a little bit more in Harlem Capital, we manage $174 million assets under management. We invest in diverse founders with a specific focus on Black and Latino men and uh, women of all races. And so I'm the only Asian person on my team, on a team of six. And so it's fascinating to be a minority among minorities, which is a completely new experience to me and something that I cherish and feel like I can add a lot of value. Thanks for sharing that. I think when you were talking about your parents, you know, sometimes we feel very frustrated by the lack of choices. But then the opposite of that, which is the grass being greener, mm -hmm. is too many choices or too many choices or too many options. And it sounds like that sort of, you know, our parents now, maybe the pendulum swinging the other way. And sometimes you see our own friends or I catch myself doing things where it's like, what do you want to eat? Or even just simple choice of what do you want to yeah. do? And kids having to figure out, well, wouldn't it be better to just have one of three things? <laughs> like decision fatigue. Correct. Yeah. And Trying it, to eliminate too much of that burden of thinking that everything is possible. Right. right. And so I, I think, you know, when we think about dreams, when we think about what's possible, it's neither or. It's got to be something in between. But the things that we can visualize or things that we can consider as options are only feasible or they be materialize a little bit more concretely as tangible options when we see other people doing it. And so whether it is you being on screen, because... I mean, I don't know, you know, how many other anchors or reporters on air on a channel like CNBC or even Yahoo Finance, because that stuff matters, right? Because yeah. we think about traditional, especially New York based business news. We don't see a whole lot of people like us. And even more so, you have had a history of using that platform and privilege to invite other people. And not to say that other people don't, but it makes I think it makes the conversations a little bit more resonant and more. Uh, meaningful yeah. when you're able to interview a fellow woman or a fellow entrepreneur of color because there's some things that just click you know we all we do is talk to Asian Americans on this show and there's a certain layer of things I don't have to explain and maybe it's culture maybe it's just the way we were brought up maybe it's jokes about our parents but I think helping to define what's feasible and what's possible I think is really fascinating from the perspective of broadening what we were taught in some ways but also giving specific options based on what we've seen possible. You now sit in the chair of being a part of a team that makes the dream more feasible. How do you see that being in 2023? You know, what can we do? Are we in a good place? How do we continue to make that more possible? I, I will say a lot of it is parenting. A lot of it is things that even young people now have to deal with about what's mom gonna think if I tell her I'm doing X, Y, Z. But the other part is just a tangible. Can they get funded? Are they encouraged? Do they even know what's possible? And, and you're helping to solve that piece. The family stuff, you got to talk to your parents. We <laughs> can't about help you with my that. Pay grade, yeah. we, can't, we can't help you with that. Parents and therapy, guys. Yep, therapy is important. <laughs> but from the opportunity perspective of the building blocks that is required to chase one's dream, do you feel we are in 2023 within the Asian American community? Yeah, I think that's a great question for deep introspection because it's something that I do feel at Harlem Capital, I feel I'm very well positioned and poised by working at a firm like Harlem Capital to help achieve other people's mm -hmm. dreams. I do sincerely believe that because we tend to lead rounds in each of these funding rounds of seed, seed plus, and, and sometimes pre-seed rounds, which means that we're trying to get around 10% ownership. Oftentimes when you think about venture, not to get too much into the weeds, you're 
thinking, oh, yeah, someone, you know, some big shot or some angel investor is going to give me a couple hundred thousand dollars. Oftentimes, those people are not actually involved with the post-investment process, right? They're like, hey, we believe in you. We're on your cap table. If you really need us for something, hit us up. And then, to be honest, a lot of the time, even if you do hit them up, nothing happens or none of those resources are shared. I think for us, because we take such a big ownership stake, we have a lot more at stake for Mm. ourselves. And so to be perfectly honest, I was shocked at how much I do, not only as an individual, but also as part of a team to help our founders, Mm. whether that's finding additional sources of funding, helping with downstream capital, finding B2B services that they can then plug into, finding discounts for our founders to be exposed to. And so I think from a macro perspective, it still looks pretty bleak, Jerry. Mm -hmm. Like if you think about the numbers this last year, only 2% of venture capital funding went to women, 1% went to black founders. The number is slightly higher in the 20 something percent when it comes to Asian founders, but oftentimes they are Asian co-founders with white counterparts. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we don't need to go into the details of what that equity split sometimes looks like. And they're always a CTO. Yes, oftentimes a CTO, exactly. Behind the scenes, crunching the numbers, crunching the tech. But all that to say, I think I'm hopeful. I feel like we're in a position where it's not going in the opposite direction. I do feel like there are macro conditions because, you know, we put out a quarterly diverse funding report and the numbers are down, but also the numbers in venture capital capital overall are down. Mm. So you can't really isolate it as, oh, well, you know, it would be a different story if the landscape looked so bullish for non-diverse founders. But at the same time, I think at this moment, more and more Asians are being inspired to create amazing, not only tech companies, but consumer brands. I think what Gold House is doing has been phenomenal. We're involved in Gold House's multicultural leadership collective and consortium that really is trying to place more Asian leaders on board seats in C-suite level positions. And I think kind of to what you were saying about community outside of my day job, I think that's where I feel the most optimism because, you know, we're here at my house, which we have dubbed the passion pit because not only do we grow passion fruit in our backyard, we have a bunch of little vines that grow passion fruit and it's my favorite fruit actually, but also we believe that out of great passion comes great community and that can have a flourishing effect. And so we do try to gather different kinds of people here in our backyard. We try to host different sorts of conversations, not only through church, but through work. We're having Harlem Capital interns here next week and Mm -hmm. having some lunch. So yeah, just finding different spaces where people can break bread and can feel as though they're not alone. Uh, and can be inspired to to dream bigger in whatever ways that looks like. That's something that both, you know, my husband and I are really passionate about. So you two have a very good pulse on sort of what the next generation is thinking through your community work, through the businesses and the projects that you guys are involved in. What is the optimism outlook there in terms of young people being able to pursue some of the things that we may not have been even thought, whether again, whether it's based on what our parents told us not to do or to even think, hey, I didn't know that we could do that. Yeah. I think the main takeaway for me in observing, you know, people even a couple years younger than me, obviously like younger cousins, but also young entrepreneurs, is that we often have said, oh, Asians are not a monolith. Any ethnic group is not a monolith. I feel like individuals themselves feel like they're not a monolith. So what I mean by that is 
we're so multifaceted and that's okay, you know? And so I know a lot of employers have bemoaned the fact that, oh, quiet quitting and a lot of people who don't want to necessarily stay engaged with their day job or put 150% in. No offense, those days are gone because people are trying to figure out other pieces of their identity. And if that means it's your Asian identity, if that means you're as a queer person, as someone who's really active in a community, people don't want their souls to be sucked entirely by a profession. And so I think what encourages me is that creates so much more opportunity for that intersectionality, for those cross-breeding opportunities, not only in a traditional sense, right? Like building businesses together with people who are kind of different from you, but also it gives a lot more space and breathing room and to not make people feel like, oh, this is your lane and you got to stick to it. Otherwise, you're a failure. So, yeah, I'm really encouraged because I do think people in the younger generation are so much more unabashed about how critically they're thinking about things and so much more at ease with the fact that they will not be kind of put into a box. And this is for Asian Americans and I think all folks alike. So this is actually, so we're doing 10 of these episodes in, in partnership with Toyota, and we have actually 10 and a half guests, 11 guests. Jason and you are about to welcome a new child into this world, which yeah. brings to, you know forth questions about, well, what does this child get to do? Mm. How can we create a world that's better for your kid, my kids, and you know, sort of what do we do to make right on our promises to our parents and grandparents so that we can evolve? How does that impact the way you see your work in creating opportunities or building the blocks necessary to create opportunities, perhaps for a world that we have no idea. Because the world we're living in now, we didn't even imagine 20 years ago when we were young. Right. So our parents did their best and they did a damn good job in preparing us to face any challenge. And now as parents and soon parents-to-be, we're tasked with this different version of an impossible challenge to provide opportunities or to teach them the right things for a world we don't even know what looks like today. Yeah, that's something that I'm thinking about a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Overwhelmed by, keeps me up at night. I think as I prepare to be a mother and Jason and I prepare to be first-time parents, I recognize so many limitations already that I, I will not have full control over my child's destiny. I, I really love my my therapist. We saw her as a prenatal counselor. I continued seeing her as an individual therapist. And now we actually just did our first session as a pre-baby counselor. And so I try to hound her every time we talk, being like, can you just please break it down for me? Like what percentage exactly? It's nature versus nurture. Just like, <laughs> please help me, you know, because I need to understand how much accountability and responsibility are on my plate versus the world's and versus this is just how the kid is going to turn out good or bad. But ultimately, joking aside, I think, to be perfectly frank, Jason and I are very well equipped and positioned, I think, to give our kid a very enriching, full, loving, and hopefully protected lifestyle. But at the same time, I do recognize there are so many external variables that are completely out of my control. And I think I've just come to terms with that. Like that's part of this <laughs> baking process that is pregnancy where I'm like, okay, even the way my body responds right yeah. to this child inside of me, I have no, I have very little control over. I can only imagine what that's like when this kid is outside of my womb and in the world. And, and all I hope for is for the kid to be 
happy and content and kind of self-assured and grounded. And hopefully, you know, we kind of joke. And I think a friend actually made this joke the other day because Jason and I like to host and we are pretty extroverted. Someone mentioned to us in passing that he thinks that our worst nightmare would be to have a shy kid. (laughs) Like a shy, well-behaved kid. And, you know, we joked about it, but I was like, huh, it is fascinating, right? Like, what if we do have a super introverted kid who's going to be changing community in his own ways, right? He might become a gamer, he might be a developer or whatever, all these skill sets that I don't possess. And so I'm trying to hold it loosely because he will be a boy. So that's why I'm referring to him as him. Uh, I think... I'm just very excited to see what he does with what he's given because that's all you can do. Well, I wish you guys the best. I know, at least we know, for those of us that are lucky enough to have you guys in in our lives, you guys have a good community. You guys have a good tribe. Yeah. You will do everything uh, to not only make life good and uh, opportunistic for your own kid, but for so many others. Because I think, what's the point of doing something just for our own, right? Like we're building things and we're trying to make change for everybody to thrive because when we all win then we can all win and so this might be a fun one but maybe your kid will watch this one day without asking you to get too emotional but maybe (laughs) say something to future baby oh man jerry why you gotta do this to me (laughs) oh hmm and we don't have a name yet so we're not necessarily i'm not married to anyone name but dear baby Hom Lee words can't even express how much I adore you and appreciate you for exactly who you are Um, not because of anything you've done not because of anything you will be or will achieve but just you completely unadulterated and for being such a source of joy in my life. I hope that one day you'll have the courage and even more courage than your mom and your dad to pursue your dreams at an early age. And I promise to support you in all those endeavors as long as you're safe and you've thought about it a little bit carefully. (laughs) But I also promise to be a sounding board to you if you feel lost and confused and alone and just know that you will always not only have your parents, but such a strong community of aunts and uncles and cousins and loved ones who are rooting for you every step of the way. You are loved, you are beloved, and you are more than enough. Beautiful. Best wishes to you on a very, what will be, we hope, a very healthy birth and all the things that I forget now because it's been four years since our our youngest was born. But what a wonderful time to not only experience the growth of your family, but also to give us a chance to think about things that you don't actually get to think about too often, which is primarily what do I do now? And obviously, shout out to all the the mothers out there because the dads, we have no idea what you guys actually <laughs> go through. But to just really think about something greater than ourselves, yeah. even though we are community oriented and building things for other people pre-parents, I think that fundamentally changes the way that we see not only what we do, but how we do it, but with whom we do it and for what purpose and for what reason. And, you know, the whole thing about this show is, you know, started three years ago almost for my daughter. On mm. her birthday, we launched a show on her first birthday because I wanted them the next generation even us to hear stories that we didn't get to hear and i genuinely want all of our kids to at least my kids to say about what was the big deal Mm. like why did you need to make an asian american podcast Mm. we have like a thousand of those 
and I want to do something different. Mm. And I hope they realize that they will be able to say things like that because of people like you and Jason and me and other people who have done the difficult thing of doing things that we were never taught or we were never shown that we were allowed to do. And so thank you for making time for us. Again, best of luck with the baby and keep on dreaming. Thanks, Jerry. What a special opportunity. Thank you. Thank you to Melody Hom for sharing her story of her Asian American dream. You can learn more about Melody on Instagram at Mel Hom or on Twitter at Melody Hom. Thank you to Toyota for their partnership of the Asian American Dreamer series on this podcast. Head over to YouTube to watch the full video version of this episode and check out at Dear Asian Americans on Instagram to view short form video highlights. This has been your host, Jerry Wan and Dear Asian Americans, keep on dreaming.